don't know if you pay attention to those lyrics, but there's that lone lyric in that one song that said, heaven touched earth like an unforeseen kiss. And you think about that for me. I mean, that's the grace of God, an unforeseen kiss. And God reaches down into your life and just whispers into your ear and just kisses your cheek. Says, yeah, I, I love you. I mean, that, that's the joy of celebrating worship this morning. It's good to be with you today. I've been out for a few days, and it's great to be home, great to be back here and doing that. I want to ask that God would speak into us. We're going we're gonna to study his parables this morning, and we want God's truth to come into our lives. So let's bow our heads. Father, we believe that you reach down and that you do whisper into our ear that you love us and that you care for us greatly. We pray you would whisper to us today and maybe even shout and speak with truth and vigor into our hearts as we study your word. In Jesus' good name, amen. I was got out of my, I got in my car, drove down the road, got on to Chinden and Eagle. I live right there near Chinden and Eagle and turn left on Eagle and I'm heading down the hill and I, I'm not given to a lot of emotion and I just began to weep just uncontrollably coming in today because someone repaved Eagle Road. <laughs> While I was gone, and I didn't have to deal with it. I mean, I always thought that was just a holy road, and now I realize it's just a road, and it had a lot of holes in it. I was like hand on heart the whole way driving in. I was cleaning off my eyes. I called my daughter. I said, I'm going to change your name to Brad in honor of the governor. Finally got the road repaved. She's like, Dad, I can't be called Brad. I said, I don't know. We'll figure out some girl version of Brad or whatever, but... Wow, miracles still exist, right? So good to, be, good to be back with you guys. We're going to look at the Word of God this morning, um, and we're going to follow along, and I love this right here, the moral of the story, parables of Jesus. Do not merely listen to the Word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. God's teachings come in parables, and part of it is, is that God wants you to lean in. Is that he wants you to sit on the edge of your seat. He wants you to hear that whisper into your ear that says, I love you. Now I want to teach you. We've been studying the kingdom of God through the year. And in that, you have to understand something very important is that a kingdom of God is bigger than the church. I know that the church is, you know, very, 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 very important. But the kingdom of God overrides the church. It's God's big work and purpose in the world. And one of the beautiful things of spending the last 50 of the last 100 days in the Middle East is that you begin to see that God actually cares about people in so many different ways than we would ever recognize. One of the reasons why it's hard to read the Bible, and by the way, there's a handout for you. It should have been on the, on the seats. There's also something on the website. You can go on the website and look at it there. It's in the Bible app too, and you want to follow along. But one of the reasons why it's so hard to read the Bible is that it directly challenges our motives. It comes right down to the motive level. And if you think about it, we spend a lot of our lives trying to conceal our motives, right? Look at what the Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, when it talks about the depth of what the, the, the Bible does in our lives. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What is a two-edged sword? It's, it cuts this way and it cuts this way, coming and going. So God's Word, when He comes into our lives, He's like, I'm going to slice here and I'm going to slice there. And what is God trying to do? He's piercing with His Word as far as the division of soul and spirit, he can slice the difference between where your soul and your spirit are of both the joints and the marrow. And it's able, the word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions 
of the heart. That's a powerful verse. That's why it's so hard to read the Bible. It's why we struggle at times uh, to do that. We spend a lot of time concealing our motives. We don't want people to know know, kind of what we're doing. In dating, we spend a lot of our time sort of not going too far and not going too fast and not doing all this. And do I really like you? And do I really not like you? And, you know, all those games that get played in dating and then all, all the things that happen in the business world where we hide agendas and we make secret alliances and we do all kinds of things in back rooms and we have conversations that we don't want people to know about, a lot of our life is spent concealing our motives. And then you catch up with the Bible and the Bible just walks up to you straight faced and looks at you and says, yeah, what were you thinking on that, Harv? That's why it's hard to read the Bible because it actually goes down into it. One of the things that I would suggest to you is it's good to read the Bible through the year and to do all of that, but don't push so fast that you don't stop once in a while for it at least to look into your life. Because when you read the Bible, it actually reads you, right? It's that powerful. That's why the verse is in there. Um, The hiding of our true motives happens so many times in relationships. We don't want people to know where we're at in our friendships and our marriages and all those kinds of things. We kind of actually cloud the water once in a while as a way to do what? To protect us from our fears, See, one of the reasons why we do that is is that we're afraid of being rejected because if we get out there too far too fast, it feels like we could get cut off and rejected and thrown away. So we deal with motives on a pretty regular basis. I'll give you a picture for just a second. So think about it like this. We have all these different facades in our lives, right? We have a facade we manage in the business world with our neighbors, with the neighbors that are really fun to be around, with the neighbors that always want to take our stuff and, you know, all the facades you have, right, that we keep in on our relationships. And I've heard it said like this is, is that the measure of stress in your life is the measure of the distance between the facades you have to manage and keep out there in your life to be accepted, to be loved, to be liked. So who you have to be to be liked and who you really are. See that gap? See that distance? That's the measure of stress often in our lives. Isn't it joyful to be around someone who just likes you for who you are? They don't want anything. They don't need anything. And in fact, they bring something to the table. They know your favorite drink when you go to the coffee shop and they order it before you get there. I mean, isn't that a beautiful thing to be in that kind of relationship? We're looking at the parables for the summer. And one of the reasons why we're looking at the parables for the summer is because God wants to come into our lives and say, I want you to have those kinds of relationships. One of the reasons why parenting teenagers is so difficult, and I'm not going to go where you think I'm going to go. One of the reasons why parenting teenagers is so difficult is because about the time they become teenagers, they actually have the ability to see our motives pretty clear. When, it become, when they become teenagers, they actually have the ability to see our fears pretty clear. You see, when you live with someone, you start to realize that you know a lot about them and our kids are always watching and observing. By the time they get to 12, 13, 14 years old, what's going on is, is that they actually have that ability to see us for who we are, not who we wanted them to think we are. I got four, okay? I mean, you know, bounce off the wall, hits hard right in the chest, okay? And in that process, what happens is, is is that they begin to see us for who we really are. And then we have to deal with this notion, is that who I really am? And oh, by the way, they're trying to figure out who they are. 
I've heard it said like this, and I think it's a wonderful phrase, and I think, I think there's actually lots of measure of truth to this, and, and that is that when our teenagers challenge our values, it's not because they don't believe them. It's they want to know, do we believe them? See that? They're challenging them to see, Dad, do you really believe it? And by the way, they generally challenge the dad's values to see if he believes them or not. Anyway, let's go into the Word of God. This isn't a teenage presentation, and surely, you know, we got different things to move on to. Uh, but I, it's just important. It's there on your page. Uh, by the way, there's a similar thing in business, by the way. If you really want to know the condition of a city, talk to the lawyers and the accountants. They can tell you where everything is, not what it looks like. Fair enough. Lawyers and accountants shaking your heads going, yep, that's, yeah, the bookkeepers are right there with you, right? I know they run around acting like, but the reality is, boom, Right? We spend a lot of time concealing things, guys. Today's a message out of Matthew chapter 20 that talks a lot about concealing things. Let's look at it. For the kingdom of heaven is like. You need to understand something. God is saying, I'm going to peel back a little bit of heaven for a minute. I'm going to let you see it for what it really is. And it's a lot like this. Christian, in this culture, in today, you need to hear me on this. The kingdom of heaven is not exactly like the American dream. And I know a lot of what we work toward is the American dream, but as a follower of Christ, we need to see the kingdom of heaven for what it is, not what we think it should be. Okay, so let's see what it is. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. Early in the morning is a very important piece to this. And I want to give you a set of five different things that are actually values in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is proactive, intentional, driven, focused, and purposeful. It's focused, driven, purposeful. God is doing a plan and he's carrying it out in the world. A lot of times we wonder, does God even have a clue about what's going on in the world? Does God know about this? And does God know this? Early in the morning, this landowner didn't wake up at noon. You know, and it wasn't in the, they were in the crack of dawn club, not the crack of noon club. Okay, So they woke up early in the morning and they got after it. They went to work, and here early in the morning, he went to hire workers for his work. Now, notice something in this. This is a parable. So with parables, he's basically giving you a story and saying, it's a lot like this, so follow with me. What else is it like? He's already got workers. He's hiring more workers. Let's look at verse 2 and see what it says. Oh, by the way, there's a great saying, and I don't even want to say the Latin because my daughter knows Latin, and I know she'll see this, and she'll go, Dad, that was so terrible. But there's a, there's a line in here that goes along with the proactive, pur- uh, purposeful, focused, driven heart of God, and it's, and it's this, I think we have it up here, we can put it up, is this Latin phrase that in English it says, fortune favors the bold. Whatever that means or says, however you, fortuna, that one. This Latin phrase, I got to be in class, right? I mean, you guys know that. But here's the, here's the statement. Fortune favors the bold. Our God is not a chicken weasel, scared, afraid, sitting in the corner of the universe God. He's a God that gets out there and says, I will boldly proclaim the way that I want to go. So the kingdom of God is not this scary little doily laced, afraid to do anything thing. It's God out there saying, I am in this world and I drive it. I drive it. Okay, so verse two. 
Verse 2, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. A denarius was a day's worth of wages. This was an honest wage. They were getting an honest wage. They're starting at 6 in the morning. need to understand something about Judaism for a moment. And that is Judaism days start at 6 o'clock the night before and go until 6 o'clock tonight. Okay? So Sunday in, in the Hebrew, in the Jewish world, started on Saturday night at 6 o'clock. Okay? So 6 in the morning is the middle of a set of 24 hours and they went to work at six in the morning and they were going to work till six o'clock at night when the day was done and they were going to get a denarius and it was an honest pay. Okay, so it was honest pay. Verse three, what it says in verse three, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. It's not that they were worthless or lazy or not interested. These people had bills to pay as well. But the way that it worked was they had day laborers who would stand out there and wait for a farmer who needed it. And you know how farm work, well, maybe some of you don't know, but, but farm work is some days you've got so much work, you don't know what to do. Some days you don't have as much work to do. And so you had day laborers and these day laborers were standing there looking for work. So he went out back at nine o'clock in the morning, looking for people. And he found some more people in the marketplace and they were doing nothing. Verse four. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. Don't, don't, don't come off of four yet. Watch this. That word in the Hebrew, in the Greek for right is the word righteous. I will pay you what is righteous. Now this is interesting is that there's actually a moral component that comes in when he adds the word righteous and that is he's literally choosing a different word to say I'm going to pay you something righteous. And we we ought to we, we go okay well what does that really mean? You got to follow the story with me a little bit here. But let's for the purpose of the story, the people that started at 6 in the morning had a contract and an agreement. They were going to get paid an honest wage of one denarius. The people that he meets up with at 9 o'clock, he says to them, I will pay you what is righteous. He enters into a covenant relationship with these workers. Number 5, uh, verse number 5. So they went, he went out again about noon and about 3 in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. Verse 6, about 5 in the afternoon, he went out, and still others were standing around, and he asked him, why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? Now, we, we read that like he was chiding them, but he wasn't really chiding them. He's going, you, you didn't, I mean, nobody, nobody hired you? You didn't have anything? I mean, nobody else is hiring, kind of, if you will? And there's, there's a second story, and I don't have enough time to get into that, but he's really asking the question, Am I the only one that employs people? And the God of the universe has the right to look out because God owns everything and God is the originator of everything. And God's almost emphatically making a very subtle point that says, everything originates from me. He's almost saying a little bit of, you can't come up with it without me. See, one of the great mistakes we make in our day and age is we think that we do life without God because we're city folk, right? We think milk comes from a carton, right? We think food just shows up at Trader Joe's and we go buy it, right? We think that's how it works, right? I mean, I keep that sticker in my office that says, no food, no farms, no food. It's absolutely true. No farms, we have no food, okay? And what he's really saying here is, is you guys need me for everything. The kingdom of God puts forward this bold, audacious statement, without the breath you're breathing that I have given you, without the strength and the vigor that's in your body, without the brain cells that I gave you, you don't have much. 
One of the hardest things for us as American Christians is to be reliant on the all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-everything God. Because we think, oh, no, you know what, God, we've got it. Go, go work with the third world people. Go work with those people who don't have jobs. Go work with those people who don't whatever. We have to be very, 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 very careful when we're studying the kingdom of God. God comes in and says, it's all mine. You know that, right, Harvey? It's all mine. There's a humility we should take from verse five, 6 here that says, you know what? Without God's provision, we don't come up with our own air. We should be humble people. Okay, verse 7. Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So let's get the story right. At 6 in the morning, 9 in the morning, noon, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock, he hires workers. The first workers, he says, I'm going to pay you an honest day's wage. The second set of workers, he says, I will pay you what is righteous. And it's implied in the set of verses that everybody else is going to get a righteous payment too. Okay? Because now think about this for a second. The landowner in the kingdom of God here, his character and his Actual integrity is on the line, okay? So follow it forward. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So again, remember the principle of the kingdom of God. God is what? He is purposeful, intentional, focused, uh, direct, and has a plan he's carrying out. When he goes to pay them all, he does the exact same thing. In the kingdom of God, God is always teaching us lessons. He's always teaching us to see the world the way he sees it. And the way he's going to teach the lesson here through this parable, remember this is a parable, the way he's going to teach it is he's going to say, I'm going to pay the last guy first. And why would he pay the last guy first? Because he knew everybody else would watch, right? We all want to know that, right? We all want to know how much we make. Everybody else makes, right? I have a secret machine. I know and I found out exactly how much all of you make. There are little bubbles over the top of each of one of your heads. Right now, I know exactly how much all of you make. You know what it says? You make enough, you make enough to take care of your, your needs. If you live in America, no offense, I know we all have different amounts of income like that, but in America, the squabble is not over needs. The squabble is over wants. Can we be fair about that? And we kind of have what we need, right? And what he's doing here is he's going to say, okay, I'm going to pay everybody. Let's see how he pays them. Let's go to verse 9 here. Verse 9, the, the, the workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So the ones who were at 5 o'clock showed up and he hands them a denarius. He hands them a full day's labor's worth of work, money. He gives them the full pay for the day and they've worked an hour. And he gives it to them. And the story ends there. We can go home, let's pray and go out. Okay, wait a minute. I guess there's a few more pieces to the parable. Let's look at verse 10. What does he say in verse 10? All right, in verse 10. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Now, all of a sudden, the guys who were six o'clock workers are looking at each other going, dude, he got a denarius. He got a denarius. He got a denarius. He got, what are we going to get? We've been here for 12 hours, right? They're at, now, I want you to notice I know there are kids in the room. My apologies. This is a four-letter word right here. Okay, you shouldn't look at it. Kids don't look. But the word expected is a nasty word. Expectations is a really nasty word. Their expectations changed based upon the generosity of the landowner. Now, before we're too hard on the people, we would have kind of done the same, wouldn't we? We'd have looked around and said, man, that guy got one of those. And I worked 11 hours longer than he did. Notice this, there's a subtle thing about humanity and God, the kingdom of God, 
is trying to address something we all struggle with. You know what we all struggle with? Comparing our lives to each other constantly. Constantly. It's, in, it's unending how we compare everything, doesn't it? I tell my teenagers, I'm going, I, or my kids, I'm like, you guys, you live in the most judgmental time the world has ever known. And you guys have phrases like, no judgment. I'm like, no judgment. I said, I would take a picture when I was your age. I put it in my room. I put it in a frame. I put it on the wall. And the only person that gave it a thumbs up was me. <laughs> now you're waiting on all your friends. And if they don't give that thumb up fast enough, well then, man, I mean, are you not looking at your phone? Why are you not, you know, and like that? I mean, it's, it, I'm not mocking them. I'm saying to our kids, God bless you. You're growing up in the hardest time it's ever been because everybody weighs in on every little part of your life, Right? Oh, those of your school teachers, you know, you look at the students, you go, oh, this is such a hard period of life. It's hard enough. Hear my empathy. These guys had that as well, okay? I want you to see a phrase. I came up with this about 25, maybe 30, maybe 35. I don't know. I've been in ministry a long time, and I'm old. But I came up with this phrase, and I think it still fits. Expectations. Let me count. One, two, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So this is a four-letter word hanging out among eight other letters, okay? The word expectations. Because so much heartache happens in our lives when we build expectations about what should be, right? Okay, now watch this. Unspoken, unclear, or unrealistic expectations lead to unmet expectations which often result in broken relationships. If you think about some of the most broken friendships or relationships you might have, usually it dials back to somewhere about expectations. Well, I thought you were gonna do this. Well, if you thought I was gonna do it, why didn't you say something? If that's what you wanted, you, you should have just told me. One of the hardest things going on in our culture, and again, how I feel so hard for our young people today, is, is that there are so many unwritten rules, you don't know how to keep up with all of them but you're expected to do them. One of the things that is a burden upon us as parents is to speak out expectations and to do them with a sense of clarity and a sense of realism. One of the hardest things to do is just to look into someone else's life and have expectations for them that are more the ones that God has for them than we have for them. See how expectations can get kind of crazy. Remember, let's go back to the parable for a second. The guys who worked a full day's wages, their expectations changed. And because of that, we will have unmet expectations and unreal, uh, and sorry, and broken relationships. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive, uh, they expected to receive more. But dot, 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 each one of them also received a denarius. So they got what they thought they were going to get. Remember, at 6 in the morning, they raised their hand, and they could have been the guy at 12 in noon who maybe was holding out for a denarius and a half, right? But they, at 6 o'clock, said, hey, we'll take it, right? They, they closed out the option bet right there. They said, you know what? I'll take a denarius. I'm not going to wait until noon and maybe not get work. I took the, they took the job, and they got what they were paid. And the story ends just really easy, right? No, well, let's look at verse 11, all right? So on verse 11, sorry. My notes are on four pages today instead of two. When they received it, they began to grumble. Now, remember the guy. The guy at 6 o'clock in the morning said, the guy said, hey, who wants to work for a denarius? And everybody went, I'm in, I'm in. And then they began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 12, let's look at it. 
Verse 12 says, these who were hired last worked only, and they voiced it. I got to love that they voiced it, by the way. One of the things that I would just encourage us in culture, we're getting to a place in culture where we mumble it all, but we rarely ever say it. It's okay to say it. We're being told if you, we're not allowed to talk almost anymore in our culture. Isn't it kind of crazy? Like, we'll, we'll whisper it, you know, I'm a Democrat. Sorry, I just want to see if you're awake. I mean, did, I, did, I, did I say that? I thought that. Did I actually say I'm kidding with you. You see what I'm saying? We don't even know how to say stuff anymore with each other because we're talking over each other. We're yelling at each other. There's so many expectations. There's so many, all those sorts of things. Is that you got to bless these workers. The guy said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I was hired. The guy who got hired last got what I got. I, I, should we close our eyes and raise our hands? But I got to tell you, I probably would be that guy. Would any of you maybe be, I mean, we might all be that person, right? I think honestly, a little bit of us would all go, yeah, I kind of would be. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven. It is different than our world. Follow it. These who were with, who were hired last worked only an hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us. Wow. That's the struggle. That's the real struggle. We're all a bit narcissistic, aren't we? The whole notion of narcissism is we kind of think the world revolves around us. It's hard for me to see the world through your eye sockets. It's pretty easy for me to see them through my sockets. And it's pretty easy for me to believe I'm right. Would you kind of agree that maybe you see the world sometimes that way too, right? We kind of see it through our own sockets. But one of the things that was so interesting in all of this is, is that he said out loud, you made us equal, And we aren't equal because we worked different hours. Notice this, is that we actually agree with this idea in a broken, fallen, crushed, sinful world. We layer people. The kingdom of God comes in and says, ready? You all matter the same to me. You all matter the same to me. Let's go back to the phrase for a minute. The Father made us And he loves us equally, equally. You and I are no more special. I was in Cairo 10 days ago. I'm driving in Cairo. I've got, you don't, I wasn't driving. I I mean, I'm a man of faith. I don't have that much faith, okay? So I'm in Cairo. I'm sitting in the back of a minibus and I'm right next to it. And in Cairo, you guys, it it would, it it would really put a few of you in the grave to drive in Cairo. Because I'm telling we were so close. Like, like we were, we were, I'm sitting right here. The window is right here. And about that many inches, I'm not exaggerating, that many inches across from me. And one of my sermons later in the summer, I'll put this picture up, is right here is the class of another mini bus. But this is a worker's bus. It's growing. And this guy looks at me and I look at him. And we kind of like lock eyes for a moment, right? We lock eyes for a moment. And I think to myself, I am going to a whole different place than that guy is. Right? He was dusty. He was tired. He was dirty. He'd been working the whole day. All I'd done is flown, a, flown in a plane and arrived, and I'm going to my hotel. And you know what's so beautiful about God? That guy matters as much as I do. That guy matters. The kingdom of God is like a landowner who did all these things. And in this, the worker actually identified one of the principles of the kingdom of God, and that is this. You don't matter more than anyone else. You don't. You matter. Hear me on that. You matter. 
You just don't matter more than others. Siblings, parents, kids, neighbors, friends, workers, co-workers. This is how we do the org chart at Foothills Christian Church, right? Jesus Christ, Lord and leader of the church, elders, pastors, staff, all like that. Accountability-wise, that's how we are. We're all accountable to Jesus. Then we operate, and most of you are used to an org chart like that, right? Somebody at the top, everybody flows down, right? This is how we are in accountability, Jesus Christ, head of the church. This is how we are strategically, that is, Jesus leads the church, and the elders seek the face of God, and the pastors seek the face of God, and we seek to go forward and to lead you all as the body of Christ. And this is how we are relationally. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You see that picture? We teach our staff this. This is how we're accountable. This is how we're strategic. This is how we are relationally. Your family should be the same. Your family should be the same. The first shall be the last. The last shall be the first, but I'm getting ahead of the verses. He made him equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. The guy actually read his resume and he said, I was here when it was really hot. You do remember that. And the guy, I think the landowner probably isn't in the verses, but he could have said back, no, I knew it was going to be hot. That's why I paid you a fair, honest wage. Next verse, verse 13. But he has answered one of them, but he answered one of them. So it means, notice this, he answered one of them. It means that several of them spoke up, right? I mean, you gotta love this. You gotta love the Bible. It just gets straight with you. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Don't you agree? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? He restates the contract. He says, I, I gave you what I told you I would give you. Okay, verse 13, but he, uh, verse 14. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same, the same as I gave you. Now, this next verse is the one that just goes right there and hits you. Verse 15. Don't I have, this is the landowner. This is God. This is God of eternity. He has the right to look down in our lives, Americans and Ethiopians and, and Australians and pick every continent and country around the world. He gets to look at all of us and he says, don't I as God have the right to do what I want with my own money? Wow, he plays that card. You got to love God for it. He's straight up. He's not passive aggressive. He says, it's mine to give away. Remember that line that I used of the Greek word? That di- it's called diakias. Okay, diakias, which is I paid some of them righteously. I paid all of you uh, by agreement as well. One of the struggles we have, you all, is that we try to overlay our American worldview onto a Christian worldview. And the reason why we read the parables is, is God says, are you, or, or are you envious because I am generous? God can be generous to other people in a, pl- a multitudinous of ways. And here's what I found. I tend to compare my worst situations with other people's best situations and feel it's unjust. Isn't that an interesting model? That's kind of what we do, right? We pick the worst thing going on in our life and compare it to the best thing going on in somebody else's life. See, comparison living will kill you. It will kill you. It knocks us out. What if we stopped worrying about all those things, slipped that denarius in our pocket and said, hey, let's go get drunk. I mean, no, hey, let's just go. I just say those things to see if you're still awake. I mean, I'm at the end of my time. I don't see if you're still awake. But hey, I'm going to put that money in my pocket, and I'm going to go live large, right? I'm going to go do what I want to do with it. It's my dough. It's my dough. But we get worked up about the other guy's dough, and it steals the joy of our dough. 
The kingdom of God is like this picture. And he says, oh, just learn to stop comparing against everyone else. You will have freedoms like you have never known in your life. On your page there, I've written out a few of them. I just want to knock them out real quick. What would it look like if you were happy and joyful for others when they were hashtag blessed? What would it look like if you just said, hey, good on you, man. Dude, let's both go out, right? I mean, what what would it look like if we looked at other people's lives? What would it look like if we looked at our siblings and when something went really well for them, we went, hey, I'm happy for you. That's awesome. You know, team us, right? I mean, what would it look like if we didn't do the comparison where we do our worst against everybody else's best, but we looked at their lives and we said, yes, goodness flows onto you. Wouldn't it be great if we looked at each other and said, God kissed your cheek. Enjoy the blessing that comes with that. Because you know what's so cool? If we're all honest, there are times when we get overpaid for work we did as well, huh? Ah, There's probably been a few days in my life where I worked sort of a half denarius day. Fair enough. Thank you for the laughter on the front row, right? I mean, come on, it comes back to us. We don't always all work that hard 12-hour shift. Some days we coast. Some days we kind of float. Some days it all, right? Oh, that we would just see the kingdom of God for what it is. And God looks out of our lives and he says, oh, I want to bless all of you. I, I leave this for you to go home. You'll take James 4, chapter 1, and take it home and read those. I, those are on the house, okay? Read them this afternoon on your own. Um, but it's a great because it says the source of most of our quarrels come from the fact that we all want to fight over that last bit. I'll leave that to you because you're a student of the word. But I want to finish with this last piece. Again, why does verse 16 come in? Why does verse 16 come in, right? Uh, and and let, let's look at verse 16. It says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. So God teaches this parable. Jesus teaches this parable. And then he has this like little walk off, drop the mic moment where he says, oh, by the way, and the last will be first and the first will be last. And they're like, what does that even mean? Well, at Foothills Church, it means the first shall serve all the others because our leader taught us that everyone matters. There's no special spot reserved for, for Zach when he preaches and Pastor Doug when he preaches and Pastor Harv. And, you know, all, there's no spe- we stand on the, the, We stand on the same ground of the cross. And Zach would tell you readily, I mean, we all need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the blood to drip off the cross the same. Here's the line, ready? The ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's level level. We are all equal. We all need the forgiveness of God in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's stand and I'll pray a blessing over you. Holy, living, active, beautiful God, we pray you would reach down from heaven and kiss us on the cheek. Bless us Bless others around us. Speak blessing and life over our cities. Bless, speak blessing and life over the state of Idaho. Speak blessing and life over this land. Speak blessing and life over the world. Lord, may we see the world the way that you see it. And may we flourish in our relationships because we see it the way you do. Thank you, Father, for the fact that we're the body of Christ. We speak blessing to each other today in the name of Jesus. And the church said... Amen. Amen. Peace of God. We'll see you guys again next week.